What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another installment of the Facts Projects. And today I have an extremely special guest, my main man, Jason Primrose, straight out of Cali. I know it's the sun's still going, is still glaring over there. It's dark as hell over here on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so the author and creator of The Lost Children of Andromeda and the book Zosma. Thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. This is a long time coming, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Because we've interjected in talks uh, periodically, and we pretty much... I, I think I think I wanted to make sure that it was it was the right moment in the right medium at the right time. And this is definitely what it needed to be. So yeah. the main thing that I wanted to talk about was in the definition of black sci fi and its notoriety, its non monolith thought process on the outlook of a world that necessarily isn't treated in the fashion of popularity as it should is even though it's as popular as it is because it allows people to see forethought of what the world and the universe can be Mm. you know so so um if you can how did the construction in your mind on this project begin I want to, I, w- I just want to show you this and I, I know I bring it out a lot. Yeah. But this book. Okay. From when I was 10, which I, I posted about a while ago. I remember when I discovered this story, I was like, oh man, this is so cool. But like, I always wanted to see, you know, black superheroes. Yeah. And I think what I knew of, even at this age, I didn't even think I discovered X-Men yet. I was still reading books, books like Chronicles of Narnia, yeah. The Wind in the Door, Wrinkle in Time, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, when I came back to this project, um, there was this little boy in me that had this story, you mm-hmm. know, connected to him and, I this I, I basically it couldn't look any other way, right? Like it's it's it needed to be, you know, Alistair. Um and because when I looked around, I didn't see enough people and, and I started I started in like 2016, I think was the first time. Yeah. So I I, I didn't see much. I didn't see much. And it's grown over the last few years, but I mean I looked out on the landscape. I was like, uh, we're missing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, now, as far as like, uh, what, where the characters derive from, how the story pretty much took, took footing. Where do you say that that came from? Yeah. I mean, I was heavily inspired by fiction, literature, sci-fi, a lot of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually didn't read too many dystopian novels growing okay. up, but, but I'm, I kind of started to blend. I mean, this is like a blend of fantasy, dystopian, and sci-fi uh-huh. together. Um, and then I got really into like cartoons and films like that. So, you know, I've always been a Marvel head, and f- fusing like what I see in the world with the kind of imaginative tropes of these different genres, mm-hmm. and like seeing how I can like mix them all up to go together. Uh, that's been the fun. That's been the fun of this piece. So I'm I'm always inspired by what I read. I'm inspired by how people behave inside of like systems and situations. Right. Um, you know the power that we have as individuals, as people, and then the powers we could have. You know, if we could have telepathy or mm-hmm. manipulate the elements and things like that. So blending all of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm inspired by people. I'm inspired by. Uh, what I don't know or understand and what I can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just saying, oh, let's make it up. Like, let's throw it in here and see how, see, see how it can work. Right. Now the main cal- character, Alistair, yeah. is there anybody either in real life or in the fictional world that that person derives from? Man, Alistair's me, man. It's you. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm on a mission to turn into him. I got, I got the hair. Uh-huh. You know, I've been doing the cosplay shoots, but um, 
part of the difficulty in writing Alistair at the beginning was that he is me. Okay. And um, to go through that journey with myself of, hey, I'm on a journey to, you know, own my inner power, to influence minds, to, you know, change the world, and knowing that he's on that same journey. Um, and all the while, I'm believing that there are other people that are doing it better, mm-hmm. bigger, faster, stronger. They have more power than I do. And so uh, I spent a lot of time in my writing kind of like hiding Alistair in the text and like hiding what he's capable of and all that stuff. Right. And so in, in what's coming out in 2050Z, it's like ownership, like all Alistair all the time, just like, oh my goodness. But you, you really start to understand and see the path um there's uh there's dynamics in there with my parents like my mother and father how my relationship with them is very different mm-hmm. um that's built in there some of my relationships in terms of like i think how i've worked in in systems and in places like i explained and then the people that i saw reflecting back and how friends and family members have operated in those spaces too so um so it's very much like alistair's journey is very much my own um just blown way out of proportion you know Mm -hmm. just like completely fantastic um but it's also all the little you know black boys that grow up and you know think they're supposed to be one way um and not another or think that uh they can't be powerful or think that they need to dim their light so they can move through the world Mm -hmm. Um, that's like where it all came from and that's something that i struggled with and experienced a lot so it's an important I mean, even the new cover, I mean, Alistair's like on the cover. Right. I see him like moving into the space where he's taking on the world. It looks like he's facing the world that's about to end. And um, I just think that that as a, in literature, mm-hmm. as a, as a, um, you know, as an experience, I think is just so important. It's true. It's true. Now, were you more so geared towards sci-fi? I know you said that like basically like the comic side uh, pretty much caught on at a later end. Is there any particular, I guess, any particular show or, or cartoon or anything that stands out? Because well, you, when you talk about the Marvel, uh, the Marvel Universe within comics, the first thing I see when I see Zosma is the, the cosmic universe that Marvel built, mm. which I always saw as vast and never ending infinite no pun intended because infinite is always the word in marvel you know what i'm saying so like but but the characters have this perception of somewhat beyond humanity and it carries on in how they speak to each other you know within the dialogue i think they i think they found the ways to create dialogue within some of the characters in the cosmic realm as opposed to some that they have on earth, you know, they talk, the conversation is totally different. So, yeah. so I, I've noticed, um, cause you sent me, um, you sent me pieces, bits and pieces of the audiobook, and the speech that was given throughout that, that piece resonated as to the way that I would expect people within a cosmic perspective to speak you know so i found that fascinating fascinating and for this book to be put out and it was put out uh originally what two years ago if, if i'm correct well, Zosmo, yeah Zosmo was put out in 2018 yeah 2018 so yeah. like from from that thought process of when it was published uh, i'm i'm trying to like recreate how like the the story just came to be. And when you brought and when you sent me that audio, it was like, okay, now I see it. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the challenge of, of creating it's Mm -hmm. music. You could be a director, you could be a screenwriter, like anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So Zazma was an exploration of my world. Right. I basically wrote through it which I think is the best way you could craft characters and storylines. Anyway, you might as well just get, get dirty with it. Right. Get messy. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went back to, to write 2050 Z, which is a prequel and where I was in my life, like the world just opened up for me. 
So the the lore, the language, mm-hmm. it became so deep and so real and almost different that I just wrote it. I wrote 2050 in another way, which you can hear yeah. in, the, in the audio, right? And so um, it became this experience, like this kind of like expansive experience. And even for me writing it was that as well, because just again where where my head was i was mm-hmm. i was i was very open like my mind was just like oh i needed to be i can imagine i can imagine because it's the detail it, there's a there's a difference i always think when you're writing from the perspective of humanity and there's a mm-hmm. difference between sci-fi writers and people with that write within epic fantasy you know, like uh, sort of that lore of like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or anything like that. But with sci-fi, you have to put the details out there because it is as vast as it is. As it is. You know, like uh, I was talking to uh, another good brother, uh, Jeffrey Johnson, who wrote uh, Ennead, which oh yeah, I think I have here. So I was talking to him, and not only you know you not only are you like how you how you basically constructed this. You're not talking from the perspective of the story and the characters that are in there. You're talking from the plot point of the background and the the galaxies and the universe that are surrounding it. You're you're talking about observing other planets, fictional planets that are basically put out there and the people and the alien races that basically construct those planets and the personalities of those characters that live on those planets, whether in in harboring the fact of whether they're a protagonist, antagonist. Uh, they speak a different languages. I'm, I'm t- this this is the stuff that like sucks me in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. This is the, this is the type of stuff that sucks me in because being fascinated by you know Star Trek, Star Wars, but beyond that, like Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, and everything like that. When you take the the uh, the conglomerate of people. Not just the melting pot of black, white, brown, but then you have alien races that are basically being brought up and refugee tribes on on this certain planet. And, you know, you have monarchies and government and factions and everything like that. And it all gets just thrown into this one big book. And it just turns out to be beautiful in the end. It's it's so many parts. Yes, there are so many parts. I. I it's funny because I remember when I, I sent my first <laughs> my first manuscript to an editor, and it was like two hundred and fifty thousand words or something like that. Mm-hmm. Everything after a hundred thousand words has to go. She's like, <laughs> the book's too big. You have like three books in this book, and I had brought in the aliens and all that other stuff, and and I and I, and I like to tell this because I know people like dragons, but the universe gets so big. And it's really all in here still. Mm-hmm. The universe gets so big. There are all kinds of like creatures and things uh, from these different planets that all like come together. And I've already seen it happen. And so now it's just like getting it out of my fingers, which is going to take me probably at least a decade. But I'm like here for it. I'm here for it. It's it's fun. Yeah, and and I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't necessarily understand with the the books that you create is that it's never ending. You know? Yeah. You you have um 2050Z as a prequel. I'm pretty sure that sequels are already pretty much in written form for for Zosma as well. So yeah. like so, so so it's like this story and saga could go on because there's so many characters put into place. There's so many races of of different people that are basically brought and they own and they have their own backstories. They have their own origins, and it's all connected. Yes, yes, yeah. And I really so you know I I, I looked at the whole timeline right, and I picked a moment mm-hmm. to start. And I said, oh, let's start with the arrival. Um, it's a it's a bridge moment between the two like storylines, right? The storyline of the other galaxy mm-hmm. and how 
things are the direction of Earth's trajectory is transformed, mm. right? Or humanity's trajectory is transformed. So the arrival is this pivotal moment in the middle um, that we get to experience firsthand through Alistair's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's only seven years old. So he's kind of like observing the sky, you know, doing these weird things and his dad acting out of, out of character. Right. Uh, and he doesn't even really know what they're running from. He just knows that they're you know speeding away um so i so i but but that to me was always necessary like Mm -hmm. it always needed to be that moment i've written that moment oh i can't tell you how many times i've written that scene right so many times because it's it's always been the moment that brings the aliens and then changes the trajectory of like of like human salvation um and I thought, why not put an audio form? Why not put sound design behind it? Like, mm-hmm. why not make it something accessible in a world where we're not going to bookstores and I have something right now, yeah. you know, that I can that I can share, that I can give people to, to like grab onto to enter the world. So um yeah, I mean it's 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 so fun. I don't think I was having fun for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I'm but I'm having a lot of fun now. I'm about to say <laughs> it seems like you're having fun. I'm having a lot of fun now. Yeah, this year's been fun. Because let's expand on that. When you when you send me the audio book, I get the audio book, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen the perspective. Maybe only a few times where the author takes the time to foretell the story in a certain fashion, and mm-hmm. not only that, but you pinpointed it with how it's how it's registered sonically with the music that is placed into it so like you you you're talking and necessarily because of what's happening you know in the background you're put in a place there's a there's a daydream happening so you have the ability to just like you know sink in and let Mm -hmm. it all let it all register and that's what's like brilliant about this you're you're speaking to it from Alistair's point of view. And then you have this cosmic, like, like orchestra playing in the background, which is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Cause like, you don't see that that much. Cause it, 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 it's a lot of people are passionate about their projects, you know, and they'll speak to it with vigor and, conviction and that's all well and good but when you're taking it to the point where you know what let me explore another type of medium where Mm -hmm. i can connect to the audience without them basically taking the words into their head and registering them into their with their own voice of how they how they're going to read it and so you then just Put it to put it plainly. Let me just build you a soundtrack, <laughs> you know, pop this in and just move with me. There's a whole vibration here that I feel like you guys should just definitely carry. And this is how the book is laid out. And for that to happen, and I've always found that fascinating with like Star Wars and John L. Williams, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, who whoever Gene Roddenberry used for Star Trek, Star Trek comp- composition, I always thought was cool as hell. Like this brother definitely had like a couple a couple packs of cigarettes in the alley, and then went went back inside, and it was like, all right, come on, let's get this orchestra going and get busy. You know, he just drumming up whatever was going to happen in that episode. Who who's Captain Kirk seeing today? Oh, just some green aliens. All right, I got some green alien music. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, right, right, like, right. like whatever was happening, that brother, whoever was doing the composition, and that's important. It's important, I think, in sci-fi. I think it's just as important in sci-fi as the soundtrack, and it's very underrated within horror. You know, horror has a certain type of soundtrack. You know the type of, of music that you're going to hear. There's certain types of instruments that you're going to hear in a horror movie that you're not going to hear in drama or anything like that. So sci-fi, there's a certain sound, and you built it. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I was going to say, speaking of, I was thinking of the Lovecraft Country soundtrack. Yeah. 
like that i was (laughs) that that show like i can't i did not i mean i just couldn't you can't know what's going to happen next and the music gives you that same like level of angst but Mm -hmm. thank you uh you know the the composers vary into the story um Mm -hmm. like super into the story created different sounds for each character that he weaves throughout the um throughout the song throughout the song so you know like with with this with this i wanted to feel cosmic but also have like a cultural feeling to it right so you definitely hear that in the in the later um compositions that come in the later chapters but it was like when i heard that when i heard the soundtrack i was like mm-hmm. this is it like this is the thing this is the sound it's ours. Like it doesn't belong to anybody else. I've, I've not heard it other places. Right. Um, and it was really important to have, I mean, for me, it's all about IP, right? Yeah. I have IP across, you know, three or four different mediums. And I think sometimes we wait for people to give us permission to create the things that we want to create. And that can leave people feeling like unfulfilled or like it's not possible. Um, and what I think is really inspirational about like indie comic creators and things like that is that you get a bunch of people together. You got an artist that's passionate, mm-hmm. storyteller, mm-hmm. you get a writer, producer, editor, like all these people that are like um, and kind of create like a um, a mind meld of of your own comic universe. And then you go forward and. Uh, I think I've always been looking for something like that. And literature tends to be a very solitary experience. Uh, You write, you edit, you know, if you don't have a publisher, it's kind of like one for one, you work with different people to like bring things together. So um, in ways of creating like longstanding partnerships with people to, because it's not like someone could come in and book three and like edit book three and like not know what happens in book one and two. That would be difficult. Yeah. Because they need to understand how we got here. What's the new arc? Um, are the characters changing? Uh, right. You know, are things consistent and stuff like that? So, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree. I think that the um, precision is something that's really important. Um, and also just just forget you know just do it like just figure it out like get out and make it happen mm-hmm. now i know you've referenced this towards me because uh I, I remember you messaged me one day about it and it was the the obstacles and hurdles pretty much uh rings of fire that you pretty much got to jump through in the as an independent literature and book writer mm. and as far as marketing and promotion, as opposed to uh, the indie comic community. Now, uh, can, can you speak on that? Sure. Uh, I would say that it's a little bit of a, it feels like a mountain to climb alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens in traditional publishing is like, they, they push you up, you know, people aren't going to hear about you but the places that people discover books, you know, books to grammars and things like that, these now they've got these boxes like, you know, Owlcrate and stuff like that. Yeah. They've got these bo- box platforms and these books to grammars and the independent bookstores and stuff like that. But there's all these gates up when it comes to independent authors because of, you know, content qual- quality control, which I totally understand. Right. And so when you're coming out of the independent space, there have been enough people making independent books that may be, maybe they weren't edited, maybe they were purchased and then one bought them. And so they returned them. And so they started putting up these guardrails of like, how can we make sure that, you know, we don't lose out and we're still promoting literature. So the hurdles that I face is that I'm not represented. I don't have a publisher. Mm-hmm. And so everything I do is like one for one, like, I'm, Hey, will you carry my book? You know, an independent publisher, if I reach out to them personally, show them, you know, the book, give them an option to like, check it out. They might say, yes, mm-hmm. not an automatic. There's some platforms that don't support independently published work at all. Mm-hmm. Some bookstagrammers will not feature independently published books at all. And a lot of these publishers already have the, you know, they have years worth of um, rollout schedule already planned out. They have these people's um, feeds taken up. Right. And then um, 
you know, one other thing I heard was that people were hesitant to feature a first book because mm. they weren't sure if you would publish the second one because people just drop off sometimes. So right. there's some stories that won't carry a, a series if they don't think the series is going to be continued. Mm-hmm. Um, they won't promote a book if they don't think people are going to finish the, you know, the series that they're started talking about. Right. Um, and then the last thing is just, uh, is just picking up a book and reading it and not knowing who it came from. Uh, and that, I don't think that that happens very often without recommend, I mean, like any product with, there needs to be recommendations and endorsements and people like vouching for it in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that uh, one of the ways that I've overcome that is just because of people like you yourself and, and the indie comic community sharing the artwork and sharing the stories and, you know, concrete, amazing, you know, I love Lonzo. He's like my brother. And, um, you know, he l- rolled Zazma into one of the, into, in, into one of the rewards. Mm-hmm. So then all these people get like this, this big world, you know, two big worlds um, to jump into. So it's, it's things like that, that help reduce the friction. Right. And I'm so blessed to have that on the comic side because it doesn't, it doesn't happen on the literature side. You know, we, right. we are all out here trying to figure it out. Oh, um, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. And let's expand on that because how has the reception you've gotten? 2020 is a whole different animal especially within the pandemic and everything like that. But what has taken footing is that uh, a resurgence of community started to happen. Uh, Definitely within the independent comic book community, definitely within the independent black comic book community. And we have taken um, ourselves into the equation as fans in order to, you know, big up a lot of people. Like I, I made. I think I started doing the uh, the IG lives around May, mm-hmm. and um, they got a they got a good reception. And then I, I didn't realize what I, I don't think I realized what I was doing, but to see, you know, pretty much everybody like grabbing on to another. I think I remember talking to Wilson Lee from CNS Comics, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Talasha, and mm-hmm. I said, "Hey, I think you need to talk." to Jason because y'all speak the same damn language, <laughs> you know? So like, I'm sure he messaged you that. Cause like when I read Tolasha and I, I was speaking, to, I was also speaking to you through message and everything like that. I was like, y'all, I swear y'all seem like y'all are speaking the exact same wavelength. Basically he, he created a sci-fi comic book called Tolasha of the stars and it revolves. Oh, I around. pledged it. Yeah, my- yeah. I know. I know you have it. I saw it on your shelf, and you made your messages to- earlier. Yeah, exactly. but, but he he created this being of Talasha, a a a beautiful black entity, a cosmic entity, who basically is a wanderer throughout the universe in like episode zero, and then going into episode one. And I was like, this. I like wait. I was like hold on. This is like this is cool shit. Because the thing is, it's not a monolith. It, it shows that we're not one dimensional. Yeah. We're yeah, not necessarily one dimensional um, with you creating something within sci-fi with people that are creating uh, fantasy comics. It's not just digging into the superhero realm. We've done that yeah. over and over and over again. N- n- power to them because this, this is the thing. It has to get put out there. And there's a lot of them that are very different from one another. But when you start to dig into other genres, whether you're going into uh, Lovecraftian horror like David Rucker does or mm-hmm. going into deep, deep galaxy driven sci fi like you're doing and jumping into uh, the occult and like Jermel does with Absolver and everything like that or having a very strong female figure like uh, like Onaji has with Odina. You know, it it's it just shows that there's there's global level type of categoric, you know, structure in how these stories are being created. And I think that that's the cool thing. 2020 has been cool, very cool. And I'm 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 happy to talk about it as far as like the indie comic community is concerned. You know, yeah. and, I, and I'm sure you see it, too, because like it's ever reaching. Like I'm, I mean, I don't think I could have imagined this year would go how it went. Um, 
I was looking back over my sales from last year and sales from this year, and I'm not going to say any numbers, but let's just say that like us getting the opportunity to, to digitally connect. Right. And then, and you, you know, we missed a lot of the cons, but there's places that I may not have ever gotten to where I might've met someone. And because we would always be moving around and doing our jobs and we wouldn't have had the opportunity to like connect in such depth. And so I think about, what a blessing it's been for us to come together as a digital community, because as we can see, like that is what's going to be the driving force forward. I keep telling everybody, I have seen seven indie comic Kickstarters be funded, at least. Those are just the ones I know about that I've pledged to. Yeah. So, and they keep coming. Yeah. They keep coming, they keep coming. And so, I mean, Concrete, NAD, right? Is that how you say it? Yep. It's, um, CNS, Decimation Earth, Nani Nani, I think was the name of that one that was like amazing out of London. Yeah. Um, Impound Comics, like it, the list, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's never ending. Um, and then, and then who just launched? And then, uh, and then Godhood. Godhood. Yeah. And then Godhood just launched yep. um, today. So uh, it's clear there's a hunger. Mm-hmm. It's clear that. Of course, in Black Sands, I, I mean, they they're not only doing they're not doing Kickstarter. They're raising they're they're raising investment funds. Yeah. Like they have opened their doors. They're they're, to, they're venture. Dream. They're a venture capitalist. Yeah, they're a venture capital. They, they're like a venture they're capital a indie house. company. You know yeah, what I'm saying? They're a factor. They're a factory. Yeah. You know, like they have their own IP. They're in a position to develop further their own IP through media and take other people's stories and develop them too. So, I mean, and to have that be black owned and operated, like, that's what we, that's what we want, you know, yeah. that's what we want. Um, so, so I, and, they, and, and look, we're talking about, Oh, the, 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 you know, I, I keep hearing the stories like the black community is disproportionately affected. Like I know what I hear it. It is true in some cases. Mm-hmm. I also see that that story isn't true when we're dedicated to something specific Very that true. we want. Yeah. Because to raise a million dollars in the middle of a pandemic, I mean. Yeah. How? And, and Right. And then cumulatively, if I look at all of the, all of the, um, you know, all of the Kickstarters across, it's like, yeah, we're doing, we're doing it. And Nani Nani raised like some crazy amount of pounds, like yeah. 200,000, something like that. So we have it you know it's amazing you know and 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 the thing is like i remember during that whole streak and it's still happening like it it was just like back to back to back to back like everybody everybody was getting funded within hours you know it is not uh got funded within like i think a day i remember uh concrete seven hours i think it was like um like black sand doing what they just did with uh their second their second round of investments i invested both times um Same. you know what i'm saying and I, immediately like immediately like like yeah but, like but, no waiting but to see but to see what they did both times in the time that they did it because i think it took two weeks two weeks for them to do exactly what they did and it just goes to show because you know we get we get the we get the bad rap, and especially within the black community. I'm not even going to say that the entire black community basically funded every single one of those books. There's a lot of there's a lot of different diversity as far as the fans and the money that's being pumped into a lot of these independent uh, independent collections as they are. But it's important to put out there. You know, we get a bad rap for uh, in the black community for buying the clothes that we buy, buying the jewelry that we buy buying things in excess that we buy, buying dumb shit for cars, putting weird ass TVs in with like we did in the early two thousands and rims and all this dumb shit. When we actually put it to something constructive that has value. And if it's, if it's, if it's a storyline, a charity, uh, voter registration or anything like that, nobody realizes the power that's basically constructed by what is going to happen when all the money is in the pot. Every person has their hand in in the team ready to go you know nobody understands that until it actually happens and you're like whoa like not only is this happening on a singular level it is happening consistently 
you know, yeah. time and time and time again. So it's a, it's inspiring from that point of view. And then you're going to look at it from the perspective of if I do put my money into this, you know, I want to see a good product first off, first and foremost, but now I feel like I'm a part of the series. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think one of the things that's really important and I love like, um, you know, I'm, I look, I'm a big, big advocate for literature. I read books more than comics. Yeah. Um, and after talking to David, talking to Alonzo, like, you know, um, the struggles that I think we all shared when it came to reading and writing, as we, mm-hmm. were, we were growing up is something that's pretty widespread. And um, I just really want to see that same level of enthusiasm for literature Mm -hmm. because literacy and education and like the way we use our words Mm -hmm. is the power that we have as people, as individuals. And so the better that we can, um, you know, have mastery over not only that, but also what it is that's going out there. uh, I think, I think will be really impactful. So to see more independent authors, you know, of a certain quality to see more people publishing books, um, you know, long form novels and things like that. And in this way, right. I think about like children of blood and bone, Mm. um, you know, um, Marlon James's book, um, NK Jemison, you know, there's, there's a few people that are publishing this like fantastical literature that gives imagination and agency, um, and not necessarily, it doesn't really necessarily talk about the past, but kind of what's possible in the realm of the world that we're in today or the world that doesn't exist or can't be seen or the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to dive into that space and then foster more creation from that space, because I could probably count the number of people writing in that genre right now. And most of them are being like, we t- like, I, like I commented on, on um, the talk you had the other day where we're talking about the, 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 the picking game, yes. right? So when I'm publishing books, Oh, I want to, I want a black creator. I'm looking for black ma- manuscripts with, um, you yeah. know, marginalized voices, whatever. Well, then they pick one, maybe two, maybe three. Mm-hmm. And then they publish those and like, Oh, we have diversity now on our roster. Well, what about all the other hundreds and kids right. who wanted to write a book or so the the pipeline right is very small yeah for literature it's kind of like basketball or anything else you got the pipeline being really small so how can we get people to create outside of that so mm-hmm. that we still get so that we still get our words our stories out there right and um you know and also encourage more more people to do the same thing yeah because it seems like it's like a quota game and that's what makes it that's what makes it angrily not fun you know it's like yeah. you know cuz uh it seems like every company has a quota of how many diversity books that they're going to publish and then once they reach that quota it's like all stops there's a wall yeah. you know yeah. like full full stop hit the button no more no thank yeah. you you know but and 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 to be fair, uh-huh. the other thing is people actually stepping in the ring, right? Yeah. So it's actually someone believing that they should pitch to a publisher. So how many kids are being groomed, right, in the skill of writing that mm-hmm. are reading, that are wanting to be authors, that are people of color, LGBTQ plus, like things like that, that are then submitting so that we're in a, in a certain ratio, level of ratio, in comparison to all the people that are submitting in the first place. This is true. What we know historically, right, is like a lot of white guys, straight white guys writing fiction, especially in this genre. Mm-hmm. And now we've got an influx of women, which became a counter to, you know, the number of like white men dominating the genre. But then those women were all white for the most part. Yeah. So now we're starting to see like other ethnicities and nationalities and, and stuff come into play. Um, but it's still, a, it's still, it's still going to be a volume play, right? It's like how many people are submitting their manuscripts, doing their pitch letters. That's true. You know, getting into the pipeline in the first place. I think one of the like most, uh, I guess, prolific authors out there that has the ability to jump from the literary world to the comic world 
is Tanahishi Coates. Oh yeah. So doing the water dancer, and mm-hmm. then also taking the time to jump into Marvel and do, uh, do Black Panther, do Captain America, like he's done, and he's done an excellent job with everything. Yeah. You know that, that he just he just had his film narrated on HBO Max between the world and me, which I thought was magnificent. But he's like one of those people that has the ability to do that. You know, not only can I create a world for you mm-hmm. through through literature and um be judged on a not even on a microscopic level this man's like through the biggest lens you can find telescope telescopic you know yeah. um but but to then take that take a person that does literary as long, uh, literature as long as he's had and then jump into comics shorten the length of what he has but the thing is he's always had a love for comics so it's like how would i perceive this character if I jumped, yeah. if I jumped into this body, how would I make him speak? And I think he he definitely proved his point by how he constructed some of the some of the best Black Panther and Captain America novels that uh, well not novels graphic novels that came out during that time. But the, the, he's he's always been like somebody top tier on that list. So, but as far as sci fi is concerned, how do you feel that the genre is taking? It's taking uh, taking hold, like recently throughout the throughout the past few years. Um. Well, I don't know about the past few years, mm-hmm. but very specifically in the last year or so. Well, I'll put it this way: since like about 2018 was when I started being really active on my social channels, and since then I've met a few like sci-fi ish authors yeah. like some of us like blend fantasy um talking about you know creating these creating these different worlds but we're all inspired right by some more traditional yeah uh sci-fi uh works and so um what i've seen is there is a a really strong interest in uh building new sci-fi worlds from the you know, from our lens, from our level of storytelling, where we're the hero or where we're the the protagonist and we have agency in the direction of the future of the world. Yeah. And I think that's just an important conversation for us to have right now anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what I've seen. That's what I felt. That's what I've experienced, even in conversation with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, these different authors and things like that. A.R. Bingham, Leo Clifton, um, oh my gosh, um, Jeremy Williams. I think of anyone else. I talked to Janan Coles, who's putting out a book. So there's a there's a few people that are all we're all working on a series or um, a set of stories that um, are very sci-fi driven, mm-hmm. and um, it's just like we can we can do this too. Yeah, you know, um, with 2050Z. It's, <laughs> I just, that book is like, if I had a, you know, if I had a child, it'd be like, this is my favorite baby. Um, in <laughs> uh, 2050Z, and I think in, in some of the other stories that I've read and looked at, right. um, it's just, it's just the depth of this, of the science fiction, like the, the ways in which, like, I think about like 1984, like in any of those books, ah. where Ready Player One, um, you know, Blade Runner, like those stories where you're like, this is a whole, this is the advancement of culture, yeah, you know, to a particular place. And I remember when we were doing the book club, one of the women was like, Where are they from? Because they have their own dialect, like, seems like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like, maybe like Chicago. It feels very nuanced. And so that was like one of the places that I went to when I was crafting the story was ah. like, what is the, what does the fiction look like with, with the future of this, like of these types of neighborhoods? Like how are they speaking? Mm-hmm. Um, what technology do they have access to and don't have access to? Um, I think about, um, uh, like in some of the other stories, like in Janan's story, 
how far it is in the future, right? We're like not hundreds, but thousands of years in the future, I'm pretty sure, uh, where we've had a whole complete collapse and rebuilding. So it's just interesting to see all these different uh, perspectives on what humanity could look like uh, as we move closer toward whatever it is that's coming. Um, And so I, I think that's, what we're all channeling is what, you know, the, what we're experiencing in real time, like right now and saying like, this is what it could look like. Mm -hmm. uh, And this is how we could shift if people were like this protagonist or if people made these types of choices. Right. Um, uh, And let's be really aware of the villains that look like this. And so, and then putting those people on the page and giving them backstory, giving them humanity so that, you know, that they can look like people mm-hmm. and still be villainous right. rather than having them be like blanket villains that you can't really get into. So that's what I have been seeing. Um, yeah, that's what I've been seeing. Well, what do you, what do you say to like uh, the ignorant, ignorant responses that basically people give when it's brought up, it would like, um, when it'd be like, hey, are you into sci-fi? And you'd be like, oh, you mean Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, that's so funny. So this is this is probably going to get me canceled forever. <laughs> but uh, I stopped watching Star Wars after Jar Jar. Jar Jar Binks? Phantom Menace. Yeah. Okay. So I, I stopped watching Star Wars after that. But I know I need to watch Mandalorian, and I know I need to catch up on all of those things. Mandalorian will change your perspective, sir. Yeah, and I and I and I think the other one, yeah, I, Rogue One, Ro- Rogue uh, absolutely, yeah, Rogue absolutely. One, yeah. I feel as though okay, as everybody puts in the perspective that they are the two mainstream talking points when it comes to sci-fi, <laughs> Star Wars and Star Trek. Star Wars, Star Trek. The Star Trek I never got into. You never got into Star Star Trek. Wow. My mom is a huge Star Trek fan. Your My mom- mom's a your mom's it a was Trekkie. boring to me. Star Trek was boring. I don't know that Yo, sounds weird. No, no, no it, 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 this is the thing. I know it's it sounds boring to you. You're not the first person I've heard that from. <laughs> you okay, know what I'm saying? Because because I remember um, we got into uh, on on my party nerds podcast. We had a discussion about Star Wars versus Star Trek. We have our we have our good friend Devin Wade who has a very strong personality. You know what I'm saying? And pretty much gave in context saying, I don't fuck with Star Trek because that fake phaser bullshit does not fool me. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He was like, he was like in Star Wars, as soon as they cut on the barber clippers, as soon as they cut on the barber clippers, you know, it's game time. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, yeah. but but he was like, oh my god, yeah, the little lasers, and I mean, it's it's cool, but but I'm yeah. saying like the world outside of just Star Wars and Star Trek, it's so much bigger, and the things yeah. it's it seems like every time that there's a a very a, another popular uh, popular sci-fi maybe movie or book or series that comes out, people gravitate to it and they end up loving it. Firefly, people still argue about the fact that it was canceled. People still talk about Blade Runner mm-hmm. as much as it happened. People love aliens. Yeah. Alien, aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, all the other ones that basically came out. And the, and the thing is, you know, even though the most money was made between Star Wars and Star Trek, people love those franchises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, but it, I think it's the cult fandom, right? It's the first place yes. you go, you think nerd. Or mm-hmm. you think well, that, well that's because, the thing so yeah. comic conventions comic cons in general where they derive from were star wars conventions it was star yeah. wars conventions that were happening around the united states and it formed from star star trek conventions people started putting booths in there with other little things that were happening with comic books then some more things happened people started putting multimedia and movies in there you got little sneak peeks here and there Mm-hmm. And then people started to dress up. People people initially started to dress up as com, uh, Star Trek characters at those conventions, and it, that's the invention of cosplay. Oh my! And yeah, I mean, I'm not. 
at all surprised. That just makes yes. so much sense because what other, uh, what other intellectual property had that much heart and spirit to it? Yeah. And at that time, I mean, yeah, the the barriers that it broke. You know, yeah, yeah. Captain Kirk being well, shoot, I, you might as well you might as well put it like this. You might as well say that Captain Kirk is pansexual. <laughs> You know, as far as the sexual, sexual prowess of Captain Kirk, he didn't care about what it was, who it was, what they looked like, black, white, por- polka dot, purple, pink, green, <laughs> tail, horns. You was cute. I'm, I'm coming for you. That's, Cap- that's Captain Kirk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So that, that that's and, and people like looked at Captain Kirk as like just being like this this uh this example of machismo, but you know, pretty much in in context, you know, he had this thing about him where he just didn't care about who you were. If he liked you, he liked you. Yeah. <laughs> and that was explored in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah, and 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 uh, and on such a widespread yes. know, medium too. Yeah, everybody yeah. watched Star Trek back then. There, yeah. there wasn't heavy sci-fi on TV or anything like that. So Captain Kirk hooking up with somebody that was pink wasn't weird to anybody that was looking at it through the lens because they saw female. Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah, like, yeah. you know, she has a tail, right? <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, she has horns. Captain Kirk doesn't have a problem with this. <laughs> you know, the, 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 this is this is the cool thing about Captain Kirk. You know, I'm sorry, I went there, I went there, I went there. Well, <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that because it because I definitely in Zosma more so, um, the yeah yeah the going down that road of being in love with an alien that doesn't necessarily have the features, all the features that yeah. you know human does yeah it's very interesting um because you have to look it you're thinking you're thinking when you're watching it or you're reading it it's an alien that there's no feelings attached to it there's no emotions or anything like that and all of a sudden you have this character maybe even your main character in the book having some sort of emotion for something that necessarily you wouldn't think in your head is real mm -hmm. yeah but yet it happens. Yeah. And you follow it and you start to fall in love with the story. Yeah. And the relationship and the the conversation and the friction and the tension and the aura between two beings is yeah. no there's no longer a human thing anymore. You know? So it's just that interspace cosmic connection that's going to happen at some it's it's how it comes together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh yeah I, lo- I love that that's why I really like um yeah I mean that that to me is like kind of the core of it and I think I think that's the thing about sci-fi mm-hmm. as a whole right it's um yeah it's about we are all living beings and uh, like how do we come together on that um it might be harder when we're from different planets but yeah um you, you you also see a lot of like um homogenous races in sci-fi which is something that i'm trying to uh combat uh-huh. uh it's something i became aware of when i was reading about like tropes in sci-fi so like for example like the Eurasonians, um i'm not going to tell you mm. much about them but they are various shades and that and that causes different struggles within like their civilization so so there's like colorism is that how it's per- being it's perceived like, it's like yeah this was like the colorism i think all aliens don't look the same just like all people don't look yeah. the same so uh uh one thing that i think um is something that's again been characteristic of like previous uh sci-fi uh stories is that a lot of the characters are very similar uh yeah. to basically just carving copies of each other um you know, they all speak the same language or, and so now it's like, oh, well, do these different characters have dialects and class systems and do the, do they look different ways? And um, they've incorporated that. Incorporated that. Yeah. So, so I, I love that too. Just the, 
the real thoughtfulness of like creating a civilization. I mean, it's very, it's very intense. It's true. I, I, I feel the same way because I know how you said you don't like the prequels. I didn't like the prequels because the story of the coming up of Anakin Skywalker, AKA Darth Vader is a slave story, mm-hmm. which I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, yeah. and, and the Jedi, when, when they basically took it upon them to kind of mold and raise Anakin, he was taken from his mother who was also a slave. Like yeah. they took a child away from his mom in order to raise so it made me feel a little weird about the the jedis and then there was that whole thing about slavers bay uh mm-hmm. where it was an it was a whole mining planet where they had um where the the whole civilization was based of a hierarchy between the people that ran the planet and the slaves that basically accompanied it in order to mine this certain type of mineral that had to get out for maybe like kyber crystals for their for their uh for their lightsabers and everything like that and i th- I was like damn they incorporated slavery in star wars man i ain't really appreciate that shit <laughs> <laughs> i was like you know, like so and the thing is like when you when you start to necessarily see like the story of darth vader and everything and you realize he came he became who he was not only because of the fact that he had this anger inside him he got stripped from his mom he got raised by some people that he barely even knew and when he grew up he still had that rage inside of him he gets conformed, transformed into somebody that turns out to be the villain. Nobody, yeah. nobody's ever brought up the fact to him when he got older. Be like, "Yo, how, you all right, man?" Like nobody did a mental. <laughs> oh, health, yeah. You all right? Like nobody did a mental health check on Anakin or nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like basically, yeah, yeah. You stole. Uh, I'm with you on there on that 100. <laughs> percent I think that narrative is tired to say the least and um you know the scary you know a lot of those a lot of these films and narratives are very impressionable Mm -hmm. and when you you know all all that you said and like boil it down to one sentence uh you know former slaves or become villains yeah and that's pretty much the that's the story, right? Foremost, they become villains. They need to be taken out. They're going to take over the world. They're going to take over the Federation, whatever the case may be. All that inside of this, like, fantastical world. And then I was kind of like, and even when you were talking, I was thinking, I was like, former slaves are villains. That sounds so familiar. Yeah. Where does that show up? <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, and it's like, you know, we're not trying to take over the world. No one's trying to take over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I just, I just want maybe my family back or, yeah. you know, you know, freedom, whatever the case may be. So I, I think it's interesting. Um, and obviously I am obsessed with black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that narrative showed up for me in um, Killmonger story too. Yeah. And I felt so that came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. I felt even more strongly about the fact that Alistair needed to be an African American superhero mm-hmm. because I think in that story, African Americans were still the villain. Yeah. Um, with Killmonger having grown up in the neighborhood that he grew up in and losing his father, which was very obviously a very different lifestyle mm-hmm. uh, than, you know. And T'Challa, and then to again have that same rage, yeah, make something so beautiful as Wakanda and weaponize it, and so it just it felt uh, it felt like something that needed to be addressed. But I was like, I see what it's saying, and there's this this like very very intricate beauty of Wakanda and the systems and structures and like how it's built and like what T'Challa represents. Mm-hmm. He is the king of kings. He is the hero we all want, need, and aspire to be. Right. And I want a thousand of him. Right. <laughs> across every fantasy, sci-fi, you know, across every genre, mm-hmm. and and then I'll be like, okay, we're good. Yeah. But like, multiply him over and over and over again. That idea of Wakanda over and over and over again 
on different planets right. in different alternate futures in the present, like however it takes shape. Yeah. Um, and then I think we'll be, I think we'll be in good shape. Yeah. We'll be Cause shape. in the end of the day, T'Challa's storyline, he's a world builder mm-hmm. it, it, after the death of his father and pretty much seeing how the treatment of, he felt empathy towards Killmonger, even though he understood what Killmonger's mission was. He basically got upset at the tribes, the elders of the tribes, in, in order to take into the fact that, you know, we left a boy out here who mm-hmm. wasn't, who was our family, and let him become this, you know, without checking in on him to make sure that he was possibly okay. Just left him in the dark, mm-hmm. not knowing basically any type of. Who knows if he had family even out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but then it was like at that end story to where we're going to open up Wakanda to the rest of the world, not necessarily to for trade or or the the the, the dollars that we're going to pump into Wakanda with basically doing anything with vibranium or anything like that. I want to basically showcase the culture to a wide audience. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. There's nothing more like it. It's just if you guys need help or relief or aid, I'm here for that too. But initially, this is my standpoint. Yeah, and I love what you said too about um, you know his his level of accountability with the elders because I think that is how some people feel, right? They yeah. feel like we're being left out. We're left out to dry. We're being, uh, uh-huh. and so being able to yeah. just pull back and pull people back and say, hey. We're all to like we're all one. We're all together. We're family, yep. um, and move through it that way. Uh, and I think as I think as a community, and you know, we have um, spiritual work to do in terms of letting go of, of um, not letting go of, but like channeling our rage yeah. into into specific action and specific um, um, desires. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful story, and it is. Yeah, it's such a beautiful story, and I, I um, I hope it continues, especially, yeah, especially T'Challa's story. I know people initially started to basically jump down people's throats, saying, you know, oh, don't do anything with T'Challa. That that character should go away or anything like that. I tell people all the time, look, T'Challa was created in the '60s. The man, yeah. the mantle of Black Panther carries on from generation to generation. Even yeah. if it, even if even if within the comics it gets passed down to Shuri or anything like that, T'Challa has been a landmark character in any type of medium, not only co- comics, for close to sixty years. So I don't think that that's a character you can just take away because the cat Chadwick Boseman, very unfortunate what happened to him, and to to look at the character of T'Challa which is this all inspiring landmark character you just that's not a character that you just push to the side absolutely not and I think you know it's funny my mom was talking about um John Lewis yeah um and you know we 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 can be so precious about our heroes Mm -hmm. and we let people take the brunt. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, he's got it. Okay, cool. I'm gonna sit right here. Right. And so we have characters like John Lewis, like Chadwick Boseman, you know, carrying the, the legacy. Yeah. It's really heavy. And so like, we don't just like, Oh, they're gone. Like we need another Maya Angelou. We need another Whitney Houston. Yeah. We, you know what I mean? People aspiring to these places, but also multiplying them. Yeah. Across when people have agency and they feel powerful enough to be this so that you have that impact like magnified. Mm-hmm. And so I think about um, the worst thing that could happen would be to not have a Black Panther 2 in a world that needs a Black Panther 2 on screen, breaking records, showing people that, you know, Black sci-fi, which is what that yeah. essentially is. It is. Um, you know, in Black comic like it's needed it's wanted people are after it they want to see it everybody wants to see it yep. not just my community everybody wants to see it so you know he needs to be recast thoughtfully um but there are tons of talent and we already know about the 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 challenge of getting roles 
in Hollywood. So you're basically, if, if you were to discontinue that or, or whatever, then you're essentially eliminating like an entire budding cast of incredible um, talent that has longevity beyond what ha- hasn't even be- been fully realized. So, you know, I think he needs to be recast thoughtfully uh, and there are plenty of amazing, amazing actors that will do the like franchise justice and carry the legacy of Black Panther um, and be someone else that we can look up to as well. Absolutely. Definitely. Jason, I appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. Please, if you could tell everybody where they can where they can reach you, where they can get your books, to to uh, twenty fifty Z and Zosma, where can we find this? Thank you, thank you. I, I this is an amazing, like invigorating discussion. Uh, I, I I have so much respect for you, and I watch your lives, and I leave my little paragraphs <laughs> in the comments. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, so Zosma is on sale uh, right now. Um, we're doing, uh, you can get it at lostchildrenofandromeda.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out the prologue to 2050Z, uh, the podcast. Uh, it is on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts. And that's just the beginning of the next book, which is 2050Z. Um, and 2050Z will be out in February. Uh, Kickstarter drops in January. Uh, and I'm running it through February for uh, like limited edition hardcover, full color, um yeah all kinds of all kinds of goodies it's gonna be it's gonna be epic and uh might have a little comic book rolled up in there too uh but we'll 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 you know um i'm really excited about i'm really excited about about diving into that so it'll be really fun that'll be dope man well jason i appreciate you doing this man thank you thank you thank you again and we we will talk yes we will (laughs) absolutely facts project We out.